I'm Justin. I'm Gabrielle. Gab Smash on Twitter. I went to school for not cyber, um, psychology, genetic science, um, neuro neuroscience, and worked in pharmaceutical development for a while. Um, then decided to make that jump into cyber, which we will detail later. But um, yeah, still consult as a genetic scientist, which is really, really fun. It's kind of nice to switch gears at times. Um, but I started out as a security analyst, just pouring over data and doing a lot of vulnerability management um, on a large scale with a big company. And then about a month ago, I switched over to the healthcare sector and I am a cloud engineer in healthcare now, which is completely switching gears. And I feel like I'm starting from scratch again. So um, areas of interest, medical device security is kind of my wheelhouse and also embedded security like vehicle, um, like connected vehicles. I do a lot with those. That's cool. That's cool. And uh, so you, uh, you do some work with uh, Cybrary as well. You're an instructor there, I believe. Um, can you talk about a little bit of what your, your work is there? Yeah. Well, I, I started with them as a student. Um, I was looking for something. I don't know. I had so I was trying to get into cybersecurity and I couldn't find anything that was like entry level enough to where I could understand it as not coming from a tech background. And my ex-boyfriend at the time was like, um, yeah, you can't do that. Just like you have to like start out as a sysadmin and you have to like pay your dues and work as a network admin. And he was like, it's gonna take you years to get into the field and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm stubborn. So I was like, mm -hmm, okay. And then worked even harder to find something. Um, but I landed on Cyber and it was right when they were launching their different career paths. And they actually kind of had their courses set up for career paths. So if you were interested in being like a SOC analyst, they had like this whole path lined up for you. And it was really nice because it started out with A+, which is like the basic certification, which is really, it was good to start out with that, honestly. Um, and then it had you do like networking and then it had you get into security. So it was like a little bit of like a, a shorter version of the long road, I guess. Um, and they had a couple of other, if you wanted to go more into engineering, they had that. If you wanted to go into pen testing, so like hacking things for fun, they have stuff for that. Um, so I kind of got my footing there. Um, took a couple courses. I actually didn't get any certifications before I got a job in security, which is important. Um, we can touch on that too. But um, yeah, I don't know, I just started doing that and then once i had kind of landed a job in security i was like wow that really helped me i kind of want to help out so i started mentoring um a bunch of students but also putting together coursework for them saying okay like i went through the SOC analyst cohort with them and then i got a job as an analyst which was super cool but like what was missing what do i wish that i had had prior to going into the field and those are the courses that i made so I always enjoy the, the educational piece of what I'm able to do now as well. And it's not even, I mean, there's such a small portion, which is actually like the technical security stuff. And there's just so much of it, which is from everything else that I've done. Uh, there's so much more business and professional development that I, that I talk about than actually like 
technical security. Yeah, um, and then on the certification front, you know, I have a lot of people ask me, oh, what certifications did you have before you got into security? What's going to help me the most? And I did not have any. Um, I had like certifications in the healthcare space, but they were not relevant at all whatsoever. So um, it's kind of, I don't know. I think a lot of people approach it by getting a ton of certifications to try and prove their worth and then getting into the field. And the cool thing about cybersecurity is it's not like every other field in that aspect. You know, when I worked in um, pharma and in neuroscience and stuff, everyone wanted you to have a PhD before you could publish any of your work. And the coolest thing coming into cyber is that suddenly nobody really cares if you have a degree or not. Nobody cares if you have a PhD or not. They're like, if you know what you're doing, then it's cool. Like we can teach other people. And it's, it's a little bit of anarchy in terms of the education system, which is kind of cool in some ways. So. That's a good word for it, anarchy. I was intrigued because there's Claire's Online, the, the kind of fashion, jewelry, ear piercing where you get your ears shot. That store was uh, hacked and it says that the title is Shops with Claire's Online, Hackers May Have Stolen Your Card Details. Now, obviously, there must be thousands of ways that they could actually get in and steal details like that. But how should someone how can you prepare but how can someone what would they do if they found out that they had shopped at claire's and that their card details may have been stolen is there any way that they can protect about against that or what would you what is your kind of idea about that um kind of i mean there's ways you can prevent and then there's ways you can respond to it kind of like any other way in security um i actually dealt with this with my parents like a month ago um they got a notification or like they got a ton of charges on one of their cards and it they linked it back to one of their online accounts and I was like okay well the first thing that's really important to double check I think in this instance is whether your card information is stored on that site so whether you put your card information into that site and said hey save my card info so next time I check out it's already there and I don't have to type it in um, or whether it's not because if someone got into your account and use that information, that's one thing. But a lot of these, you know, on a larger scale, they're not hacking into every single person's account. They are buying credentials, um, buying lists of credentials that were leaked somewhere else and just trying them on different sites. And um, I was like, honestly, that's probably more than likely what happened. Your email, your social, your list of passwords that you use is out there somewhere and someone paid some money for it and was like hey this works um and unfortunately there's not a whole lot you can do to protect yourself against that no. people are ask a lot they're like oh are you like paranoid about security and i'm like honestly i feel like a lot of people that have been in security for a while are pretty lax about a lot of things because they realize that their stuff's out there somewhere <laughs> like my my social is out there somewhere someone's probably trying to use it you just kind of have to stay on top of it and just say, like, keep an eye on your bank accounts, keep an eye on your credit cards and stuff like that. Um, inevitably, I think it's all going to end up out there eventually. There's no really a way to protect against it. See, but once you've, once you've accepted it, once you can just accept that you have already been hacked, then, then you can start dealing with it, working through it. You need to get to that step. Um, totally. See, that, that's, that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's like, 
being cyber secure is just one thing that no one actually, well, I say no one, obviously people in the profession know what to do, but as you two have just said, there's no way that you ever can be because there's always going to be someone that can get around it. Whereas I'm sat here, I worry, I make sure every single password is completely different to the point that I'm changing letters, numbers, everything. And I follow, it says four letters, five numbers, seven, whatever, seven, whatever, and eight, eight of whatever. And you, you do that, you make sure that you put all those things in place. But if there is really nothing that you can do, and as you said, you just have to get over the fact that your information is probably out there somewhere, then that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, to an extent, I think, like you said, you can have different passwords on every single site. Um, so your password might work on one site out of 100. And that's better than getting, you know, into 100 of your accounts or whatever. But um, yeah, that's that's really the best defense against it. Like, I don't even the browsers nowadays, like you just go to sign up for a site and it's like, do you want us to generate a secure password? And like, okay and then i never remember it obviously so yep. it ends up doing more harm than good sometimes but um it's yeah. interesting you say that because i there was an article in tech republic and it was talking about the continuing continued reliance of passwords uh and that it's really passwords that are causing those data problems so leading back into you know the password reuse and likely what happened with players I don't see passwords going away anytime soon. And I don't know if there's a really good solution for that other than just enforcing multi-factor and hoping. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I don't see passwords necessarily going away. I see them changing though. Um, I think passphrases are becoming a lot more of a thing. Um, it's a lot harder to string together almost a sentence of words with random numbers thrown in than it is to try and guess your dog's name and your birthday as your password. Um, so yeah, passphrases are big. And like even a lot of the big companies, um, when you have servers with them, like AWS and stuff, there's a certain limit to like the shortest your password can be. And I remember on some machines I worked on, it was 20 characters. So like you have to have a long password and it makes more sense to just type in a sentence that means something to you. Um, but as far as, yeah, security goes, I don't see passwords changing a ton. Um, I mean, there's still some sites where I can type in like a six letter password with no numbers, no capital letters, no symbols. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. I feel secure now. Um, two factor, multi-factor is where it's at. Um, I am a big YubiKey fan. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to get my parents on the, YubiKey train. I got my dad to use LastPass. That was a big, big step in the right direction. So, but yeah, no. So physical, it's it's gonna end up being something you know and something you have. Totally, yeah. Hardware keys, hardware tokens, definitely. Prince Edward Island government, a couple of years ago, wanted to be like, wanted to start this whole e-gaming initiative and long story short, Three years later, it's being investigated for a lot of dicey, dicey stuff. And what they're finding is that uh, just emails gone, records deleted. Uh, and the big thing is emails. It was very interesting. And I think it just kind of, you know, I think there's something to be said for oversight within our governments and our systems and our data systems. But um, 
you know, what that means for the, for a normal person is that like your, your governments are, are hiding things, you know, they're deleting communications, right. That, that are by law supposed to be maintained for a certain amount of years. So I, I just kind of wonder, you know, if it's, you know, you know, what's happening. And I think we all have seen it in a little bit of our own like local governments and stuff, but I would just be so interested in seeing kind of what the global landscape of that looks like. I mean, we've seen it even on a federal level, you know, in the last 10 years or so, there's been incidents where suddenly the paper trail disappears and you're like, what is going on? Uh, man, it's just, and it, but it happens in a lot of places and it's not even just government. There are big corporations that have had the same things. The people at the top of the corporations suddenly like things go missing and I don't know. I think it says a little bit more about the character of the people than it necessarily does about the security. Um, because if you're if you're head honcho, you've got access to whatever you want. Unfortunately, uh, I mean, or fortunately, depending on what kind of person you are. But um, yeah, if if you're gonna use that power for bad, then it kind of sucks. I don't know. It's it's hard. It's not necessarily. I would say in some instances, yes, it's probably lack of good configuration. And there's a lot of lack of awareness when it comes to security, too. A lot of people put things in places and don't realize that the public can see them or um, they're really easy to, you know, grab. So, yeah, I would say lack of awareness and then lack of good character is probably a mix here. Yeah, yeah, awareness for sure. And you know, the accidental insider threat is just always, you know, always a risk and it happens and it's not on purpose, but uh, that's well, why. Well, there's, there's a balance too. Um, you know, for a lot of companies, the risk of losing information or having some sort of breach isn't big enough to warrant spending money on security. And that's, that's a problem that we're starting to run into. You know, there's a lot of infrastructure that is insecure, like visibly insecure. And we say, you know, this is what needs to be done to secure this. And the companies, sometimes they're really like, well, it's cheaper for us to say sorry than it is to protect everything out front. And I mean, that's just business. That's corporate yep. culture. But it's another hurdle in the field for sure. That, that's definitely a conversation. So, so what are you drinking? What's your, what's your coffee of choice? So I am, I made my own cold brew with death wish coffee. If you haven't had death wish coffee. I've never even heard of it. Me neither. Oh my God. I'm going to send you guys some. It's <laughs> the world's strongest coffee. Oh, I love strong coffee. I You'll love it. It's still good. And they have like a Valhalla Java blend too. And it like, when you brew it, it's like you're being punched in the face by espresso. It's so crazy. Um, but I poured some of this into it too, which is Jameson's cold brew. Nice. Um, because even though this is a morning podcast, it is like 5 p.m. on a Friday. So that's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Joe? Best of both worlds. Oh, I, I'm drinking cheap coffee. Anything. I'm, I don't know. I've only just started drinking coffee again. So for me, it's like 
there's a probably the cheapest coffee you'll get is Maxwell House, and I've put like maybe ten or eleven spoonfuls of that every morning and just get on with it. Uh, that's if I'm at home, and obviously I am at home a lot at the moment. But if we go into a, into the offices of Tim Hortons right next to it, so uh, we're lucky enough to have a Tim Hortons coffee. But uh, yeah, I'm trying an American right now. I was in a little rush, so I got a. a a lovely iced cappuccino and it's so well it's not hot but it's, it's warm enough it's very hot to be it's uncomfortable like, it's like 33 degrees tim hortons i i went to canada i went to montreal i spent summer there a couple years ago and um fell in love with tim hortons while i was there and then had it viciously ripped away from me when i came back to the united states and like people here think mcdonald's coffee is superior and i'm just like mm. We interrupt this podcast to thank you all for tuning into the very first episode of Morning Cyber, brought to you by Joe Flower of Cyberforce and myself, Justin Robinson of Rogue Security, along with our lovely guest, Gabrielle Hempel. We had a ton of interest from all over the world, ranging from footballers in England to IT specialists in India to stay-at-home dads in the United States. And we want to thank you all for your support and tuning in uh, and hope that you continue to tune in for some great cybersecurity conversation. Gabrielle, is there any projects or initiatives you have going on that you would like to share with our guests? One of the coolest initiatives that I've gotten involved with is called Trace Labs. And they have these competitions where they have these actual profiles of missing people. And... Some of them are, you know, been missing for like a month, so they're new. And some of them are missing for years. They're like cold cases. And they have these competitions where people come together as teams and try and find as much information as they can on the internet about maybe where the person is or, um, you know, what could have happened to them or something along those lines. And um, at the very end, you know, we package it all up and send it into law enforcement. We kind of do it in conjunction with law enforcement. And it is crazy. There's been so many leads followed up on and like people found and stuff because of those things and it's kind of heartwarming to know that you're making like an actual difference like a tangible difference you know with the skills that you're, you've gotten that's another way that we can kind of use our skills to help out with that so there's a couple of platforms like thorn is one of them um and innocence org um they do a lot of stuff with child exploitation and preventing that and trafficking and stuff like that online. And um, I think that's gonna be a really, really big help coming up because it's just, it's one of those things that's continuing to grow, unfortunately. Interesting. I mean, if that's one way in which the, your skill set that people can see that the use of cybersecurity is really helping, um, that, it's just incredible. It is incredible. Absolutely, Joe, and thank you very much, Gabrielle. Now let's get back to our regularly scheduled conversation. I have to ask an important question. Are you guys Team Apple or Team Android? I think I think I'd say I'm probably Apple just because it's ease of use for me personally. I understand that Android is a uh, is a deep dark hole, and it can be. <laughs> You can use it for lots of things, and it is a lot better from what I've heard. But, I mean, when it comes to technology, I find it so very, very interesting. 
but I find it to be, if it's too difficult, I kind of freak out a little bit, which is why I'm doing <laughs> like this, because it means that I can understand a bit better as to, as to what I'm dealing with. I have, I've been an Android fanboy from the very beginning. And uh, so I've had like the Google Nexus S. Yeah, the Google, what did I have after that? I went to the Nexus 4, then the Nexus 5. Now I have the Google Pixel and I've had the Google Pixel, Pixel for four years and I've just used it because I love it so much. And yesterday the, it had uh, like some type of battery event and now it's just constant boot-boop, except when I have it in the fridge. I need to, I need to <laughs> move my, my two-factor authentication from my phone so I can move it onto a new phone. And so I'm, I have to figure out some way to keep my phone in the fridge charged because the cold is draining the battery instantly, but it's the only way I will keep it on because the battery's overheating long enough to so I can like log into my different websites and, and turn off the MFA so I can turn it back on on my new device. So I don't know. So what, uh, what would have caused that? It's an old phone and battery what it's had issues so it's been dying at like 30% for a while. And it's just common with older phones, older batteries and um, yeah just uh, now it, it literally it gets like sun fire hot when I turn it on. So it's like, well, if I can keep it cool, it will, it will stay on long enough for me to use. So, so this is a question that I had in regards to, you're saying Apple versus Android. Now what, how much safer, safer is Android to be used by someone with their personal data versus Apple, who basically I'm giving all of my rights to Apple, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm just saying to them, look, here's all my stuff, you're, you're in charge of it. Is that the case or which one's the best one to have then? I don't think it really matters, to be honest. Because um, with a lot of, with Android, I mean, if you're downloading apps, you're giving all your information to Google. Okay. So, yeah, I, I mean, to... really, it's, it's one or the other. It's like the lesser of two evils. Not saying that either of them is evil, but I'm just saying, like, either way, your information is going to be out there. Um, I know Apple is really good with using it for what they say they're going to use it for. Um, I've seen some of, like, even with the Apple Watch and stuff, they did, it's technically a medical device in some cases because they are able to do heart rate and everything. So um, I've seen how specific they get with what data they're sharing in the healthcare space and things like that. Um, I don't know as much about Google and what they're using data for. I've heard mixed things, um, but really it doesn't matter. Um, it's really whatever you're more comfortable with. Um, the risk is there on both ends. There are people that publish bad apps to both the Play Store and the App Store. And it's really just kind of about vetting what you're putting onto your phone more than anything, uh, making sure that it's legitimate, it's a legitimate app, the developer is verified, things like that. Okay, that's interesting. But I'm a Pixel fan too, so. I mean, both. Both, like when you when you get an iPhone or you get an Android phone, you know, if you 
if you look at sort of that onboarding process on each phone, both companies made it really easy for you to just get into the device with whatever account it is that you have with them. Yeah. So like they're gonna probably, you know, skip through some of that privacy information and security controls that they probably should let you review okay. beforehand. But yeah, I, I would agree because if like, you know, you've got iCloud on one side that's automatically backing your stuff up and you've got Google on the other side that's automatically backing your stuff up. So, you know, the really as a, as a consumer and as an individual, you know, your best course of action and the only thing that you can control is what you put on that device. <sighs> You know, so that's where we get, that's where we've gotten, that's where the conversation needs to shift because we've gotten really comfortable with our devices yeah. and the but stuff then, that we have on them. Eventually the question then is how do you know if an app is trustworthy? That's the other question. Mm. You, from, I remember I've downloaded a number of applications on my phones and some of them, when you've downloaded them, they just, they don't look great number one and have like zero star reviews and you get into that that kind of vortex of you see one game that you like so you look search for other games that are similar to it and to get an app published on either the android like google play store or on the um, app store is surprisingly easy in my opinion from what i know about it um so anybody can put anything on there and correct me if i'm wrong but that can include something malicious quite easily um so that's the other thing is there any way of telling if something's bad or not is there any kind of signs that you could look at i mean there are a lot of so there's a lot of groups that are making duplicates of apps that are already out there um to steal your information so like there have been groups that have made like a different facebook and like people download download the wrong facebook and suddenly they're giving all these criminals their information um there is I'm not trying to make you more paranoid. <laughs> I promise. I'm sorry. You're going to have nightmares because of me. <laughs> There's a high chance. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm looking on the store now because I think there's a way to. It even happens in the Microsoft store on your Windows computer, like the Windows store. If you go right. in there, there's even paid apps in there that are actually open source. And so the thing about those is that. Anybody can really grab the code and modify it. Yes. And you know, so, if they're doing something to make it worth it, you gotta make, you gotta think of like what else could they be adding to their code that could be tracking you or returning information to the developer. Mm -hmm. So one of these the things that I know, so like say for instance, I've got Snapchat pulled up on my Play Store. If you scroll down a little bit, obviously if there's twenty two million reviews, so you would think, okay, this is probably the real app or everyone is in a lot of trouble but um you know you scroll down to a point and there is a developer contact tab and if you click on that tab it'll have their email and their address and if you want to be super super careful you can make sure that email looks legitimate first of all because a lot of the sketchy second party apps are just going to have like a hotmail address thrown in there and then you're like a uh <laughs> I don't think that's Snapchat. I don't think Snapchat is operating on Hotmail. Um, and their address, you can look up their address, which is easier to fake, obviously. But you can kind of tell whether it's a legitimate developer or if it's someone being sketchy. At least it's a little bit better way. You're probably not going to catch every single thing that comes through. 
that way, but it's it's a better way to vet what you're putting on your phone. It's taught me something. <laughs> Bad. And unfortunately, it's kind of like I understand where the companies are coming from because they don't want to discourage people from creating apps. Um, and they don't have the bandwidth to review every single app that someone creates and wants to put on the store. Um, but at the same time, yeah, they're trying to tighten down a little bit and find ways to verify. So I think in some, I don't know if it's on Android, but I know on Apple, I think there's like verified apps too, where they say, Hey, this is legit. Apple says this is legit. Like you're good to go. So. Also that, uh, that, was, that pulls in another story that I actually read about this week. Um, based upon the fact that if you don't update, say for example, Apple puts out an update, if I don't do it for a week or two, um, there's a higher chance of my phone being hacked due to not updating it. Um, that was just, I didn't know if, if I should believe it or not, because there's so much news out there that theoretically isn't news, and it's just someone like you or I sat there and just posting something. So it, is that the case? If I haven't updated my phone, there's a higher chance of me being hacked. I think to an extent, um, because when the when the phone manufacturers come out with an, a patch and they say, hey, update your security patch, whatever, we, we pushed out these updates for your phone, update it immediately. If you're a bad guy, you're going to go in and be like, oh, I wonder what they are trying to fix. And you see the holes that they're trying to patch and you're like, huh wonder how many people haven't patched yet and that's where you get into trouble um i don't i don't think it's like super prevalent or anything um but it does probably put you at a little bit of a higher risk and i'm like one of the worst people about this like I'm, <laughs> if you ask me how many times i clicked not now like on my mac like i've got like five apps that need to be updated and stuff and they're like all security apps too and i'm just like not now tomorrow i'm like this is not good <laughs> not setting a good example as a security person but it's a risk assessment right you're like okay i can afford to go without this another day right i see right like am i a target in this instance because of this you know if if joe's iphone is is, is two versions behind what situations is joe mm -hmm. going to be in where an attacker is going to be able to take advantage of that mm -hmm. so uh you know maybe if you're at you know a cafe on an open wireless network that could certainly be, you know, an opportunity. Um, I think that it was actually quite funny then when you were, when you laughed, when you said, if you were a bad person <laughs> looking at doing something like it, it makes me laugh because it, when I've been thinking about stuff to talk about with myself, um, it made me deep dive somewhat into what I perceived cybersecurity to be before I kind of got into it a little bit. And it's that entity that, you just look at and you don't understand it and it's just this thing that is there that's kind of mysterious but to boil it down and look at it in one way i see it as kind of the same as normal life Cybersecurity is like just normal life in a sense that if you were to take it to one side you've got you can do a good thing or you can do a bad thing you could walk down the street and hit someone over their head or you could be the person that's stopping the person from hitting the person over their head so it's all very um i just it absolutely boggles my mind. You grew up in a rough neighborhood, didn't you? No, no, no. Well, <laughs> far, far, far from it. But it's like people look at cybersecurity as being a scary thing because you don't understand. You're always going to be scared of something you don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, if you know 
that it, you're just as likely to get hacked as you are to get mocked, in my opinion. Um, and that's something that's there, but obviously there's a lot more prevalence now because people are being less cyber safe and cyber secure. So there's a higher chance of you getting hacked. So once people understand that it's a genuine thing and it's not something to be scared of because you don't understand it, then I think it will be more accepted. It's like you said, people think of people that are in cybersecurity to be in their basement with a hoodie. It's not all like that. You have people that are in cybersecurity to be the police of that certain aspect of life. With all this technology mm -hmm. and IoT that's coming in, people that are scared of it really shouldn't be because there's so many good people out there, like yourself, who's doing the medical device stuff, that are there to prevent the hackers from doing it, really. It, it, it just, uh, yeah, that was a long-winded explanation of me saying I'm only scared of it because I don't know it. <laughs> and, and people in it are a lot smarter than I am. And that's what I'm scared of. Everyone's going to be scared of people that are cleverer than they are. I think it, it's come a long way. I think at, at this point, we're still playing catch up. Um, that's how I view the medical devices. We came so far in terms of medical technology and didn't think about the security technology. We were like, nobody's going to hack a pacemaker or whatever. And just went on with developing things so now we have all of the this smart technology and we're realizing like oh people can use this badly and we're kind of having to backtrack and um back up and say hey okay how can we secure this mm -hmm. and it's, it's really interesting i think eventually it'll even out and we'll be coming up with new technology i mean a big thing that we talk about is security by design and that's kind of the thing that we're trying to push in the field now when you design something when you design that nest thermostat you want to design it so that nobody can hack it from the get-go. You don't want to release something later and say, oh, this is so nobody can hack you. Um, and it's kind of along those lines. And then also, like you said, with the with the good and the bad, it's interesting. So we, in the professional area of cyber, we have the red team and the blue team. And that's kind of, it's. I don't want to say red team's bad because they're not, but like they're pretending to be the bad guys they're the ones who are like okay cool let's see what we can break into today and then the blue team are the guys who are like oh let's see what we can keep the red team from breaking into today yeah. and so, i think so it's kind of like the red team of the locksmiths that, that that just try and break in so you've got the like lock pickers the professional ones that have their little <laughs> little leather leather pouch oh, interesting point i don't know where i put it um, lock picking and physical security is actually a really big part of um, cybersecurity too. You know, it's it's going beyond cyber stuff now, and I don't know where to put it, but they got a lock picking. They sell lock picking sets at a lot of the conferences, the cyber conferences you go to. Okay, so yeah, I mean, really fun. But yeah, like it's it's all about physical security too. So actually, there's a lot of red teams, and there was a really big story this past year um, with this company called Cool Fire. Mm -hmm. And they had a couple of pen testers who were hired by a local government to see if they could break in, like physically, and like what kind of information they could steal. And there was this whole thing where the police didn't agree with the government. Well, while the government was like, yeah, they're supposed to be there. The police were like, no, they're not. And they arrested them <laughs> <laughs> for breaking into a place that they were being paid by the police to break into. Um, it was a crazy story. This was the courthouse, right? Yes. 
it was a courthouse too. That so they were paid. Yeah, they the courthouse were, was paid. Paid the bread teamers to like test their physical security. So what? these guys came in, social engineered their way into the building, got caught because there's guards and police at a courthouse. They had the paperwork on them that said, "Hey, we're pen testers. We're just doing this." And I, I, I don't, I don't remember all the details, but I believe they like. I'm pretty sure they were arrested and got mug shots and probably spent a little time in a jail cell. They were in jail for a while, I think. Um, I mean, so the company backed them completely. The company paid for all their legal fees and everything. So, I mean, awesome. They're, it's a great company, but it was a crazy, it kind of spooked a lot of people in the industry, honestly, because it was like, oh God, is this how it's going to be? I think that's really interesting. So there was a, so when I first got into the kind of intrigue of cybersecurity, there was a video that I watched online about this guy describing his day and how one of the things that he was contracted out to do was to go to this place in Australia, to this building. And it was a company in Australia, they paid this managed services provider to go and do this uh, test on their, their infrastructure, both physical and their IT infrastructure as well. Now, what he did was he camped out on the building, in the building next to it. And he was kind of, if, I, if it serves me correctly, he was hacking into their Wi-Fi from the building next door. And he then ended up finding a way in which there was a map layout of the office. He could work out where everyone was sat in the office. So he went downstairs the next day. So he stayed there, went to a hotel that night, came back, went upstairs. And anyway, he then went in and he put a construction helmet on, put a jacket on and uh, walked straight in. No questions asked. He walked straight in. And because he'd already mapped out the office, he knew that he didn't need a key card to get in if he just said that he was just doing a test on the, the air vent or something like that. And he went straight in, got a USB stick and shoved it right into the computer and took everything. And no one, no one said a word to him. And I think this, this is why people need to realize that it's not just about worrying about being hacked over the internet. It's, physically i mean justin tells me every single day not to do things and not to download this on the work laptop and uh it's kind of like you need to be careful that they're not just going to steal your information in a physical way as well as online mm -hmm. and uh, yeah that story it was just it, uh, really bizarre and i think it, the company was uh, Rap rapid seven i think they're called okay. yeah. i think that's what they're called they're a pen testing yeah. company i'm not trying to give any free promotion but <laughs> No, they're, they're a good company. They're big. So, okay. yeah. um, no, I would say, and I think most people would agree with me, humans are the weakest link when it comes to security. Um, nine times out of 10, I mean, a lot of your big breaches happen because of really basic things, like someone clicking a link in an email that they shouldn't, or someone letting someone through a door that they shouldn't. Um, you know, when I worked in regulatory, like the medical side of things, I, I always remember this. It was just so crazy to me at the time. And now I understand it happens a lot more than you think. But there was a group of people that worked for a pharmaceutical company and they went to a hospital and put on doctor's uniforms and went into the hospital, accessed patient records to see who would be eligible for their drug. Nobody questioned anything, nothing. And it was just like... I was reading the reports and I was like, what on earth? Like, this is crazy. Like, how did they get away with this? And then, you know, moving into security, you realize like, yeah, if 
if I see someone walking down the hall in a hospital and they've got a doctor's coat on, I'm probably not going to think twice. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to assume that they work there. And it's same with what you said with the construction hat. Like if someone were like, hey, I'm here to check the AC, I'd probably be like, all right. And I shouldn't. But <laughs> that's just, it's kind of human nature. You're just like, oh, okay, that person belongs here. And it's the, the pass or fail test in your head, right? I think I'd be worried about the uh, construction worker with the trying to fix the AC with only a USB device. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the other thing as well, isn't it? But it's yep, true. Right you, just don't, you just don't think about it. And I mean, lots of people that listen to this, well, hopefully there's a lot of people listening to this. If not, it doesn't matter anyway. But the people that are obviously from different sectors, mm-hmm. so they're not just going to be in IT. They're not just going to be kind of involved in network security, telecommunications. We've got people who have shown an interest and they're from the sporting background. Like we're talking like people that maybe, maybe play soccer at a professional level. And this is a question that I really wanted to ask you. When it comes to people who are in a position of, um, I don't know, Justin, how to explain it, like maybe someone that's a bit more nervous about their security because they're at a level in a community where people know them. Like not mm-hmm. famous, but at a high level um is there any service that you know of where they could access like a personal security level do you know what i mean by like is there anywhere that they could get some help i know that certain sites have certain settings for people so i know like on twitter when you're verified you have access to additional controls that your normal accounts don't have Okay. Um, filtering controls and blocking controls and other things like that. Um, and that's a lot of the verification process on Twitter. I'm not sure like on other accounts, I think like Instagram might be the same way, but I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of kind of high profile people that have had their accounts compromised in one way or another. And that's, that's another thing. I mean, there's going to be certain people that are going to be targeted a lot more um i mean like i wouldn't say that i'm i'm not famous by any means but in on twitter i've had people try and hack my account before and um luckily like i have multi-factor setup so i was just like eh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was still like okay um yeah i don't know use as much security as a site offers i would say if they're offering your multi-factor and if you're in a high profile position, you should take that $40 and invest in the YubiKey because then nobody's going to be able to get into your account unless they somehow steal your key ring and have your physical key along with your password. <laughs> I'll probably have to do that. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. adhere to the bigger controls. Um, and then, and then be careful where you put your information to, I would say. If I were someone super high profile, I'd probably think twice before like putting all of my legit information into a site. That might be the time to use an alias or okay. um, we call them, you know, sock puppet accounts in, in the information security world. Everyone's got their burner accounts that they use. <laughs> No, no, we're talking about that though so you can buy a royal title online like it's hilarious you can like you get like a square inch of land in scotland or something yeah, um, yeah that's, uh, but so my boyfriend's from scotland so um we were joking about it we were like we should be lord and lady it'd be hilarious like putting that on hotel reservations and stuff <laughs> like oh i mean, just for that purpose. right 
I would, it would I would be so fun. Letterhead made because I could. Wow. I think you should. I will. <laughs> Lord Robinson. Lord. Yeah, I could I could definitely get behind that. So I Yeah, think, I told him I was like, don't ever buy me jewelry or anything for like Valentine's Day. Let's just get royal titles. Yeah, like, let's just get straight <laughs> brass tacks. Diamonds? Screw it. I want think about it like on a plane like if you like put it on your plane reservation like who are they gonna upgrade first well i think that does it for our inaugural episode of morning cyber thank you very much it's lovely to meet you yes and we will definitely be having you on again yeah and uh i'll be in touch with uh with the gift for you